Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. I believe in God and all that, but I don't go to church. I hear that all the time. That's just a weak way of saying God has to save me, but I don't have to do anything he wants me to do. It's, it's a weak statement. When people neglect their God, it's because sin distracted them away into worshiping other things. When people neglect their God, that's because sins have the priority, such as pagan intermarriages that distracted the Israelites and they followed false gods. Then the house of God was neglected. Then the people lose blessing and the rest just spirals down from there. Next thing you know, you're being dragged off in captivity. I think America's being dragged off into captivity, don't you? We haven't had a country march in here and pull us out, but we have got captivity going on in here like crazy. A lot of it is financial debt. A lot of it is addiction. There's a lot of things going on that's causing captivity. That happens when people neglect the God of Israel. But in this case here, it resulted in the Israelites being dragged off by the Babylonians to be their captives for 70 years. Friends, captivity does not feel good. And once you get out of captivity and you get delivered from captivity, you are so thankful to God that he got you out. Thank you for getting me out of this. I don't ever want to go back again. That's what Israel's saying here. We're never going back. So all the Israelites before the captivity, though, they did not have this level of seriousness. They, didn't, they weren't thinking like this. We never saw them draft a document like this, not before the captivity. What I see in this is it takes a severe trial to get people to recognize the seriousness of what it means to walk right with God the way he wants us to. It takes trouble sometimes, doesn't it? it? takes a mess to shake us out of it. Now, before the captivity, the Israelites did whatever they wanted to. Well, we're just going to do what, how we feel like. I, I want to marry this, this woman over here. I don't care if she's a foreigner. I want her. I'm going to do it. Hey, God said, don't do that. I don't care. I want it. Let's worship this God. God said, don't do that. I don't care. I want it. This is the same thing going on today. It's no different. But guys, it took a 70-year captivity. It took a 70-year-long penalty to get Israel to take the house of God seriously again, to take their one true God seriously again. Again, that is a big, big, fat penalty to finally get people to go, I better get right. So it's an amazing difference between how the Israelites, before the captivity, were viewing this from the Israelites here in Nehemiah 10 after the captivity. It's like a whole different people. They're still the Israelites, but their thinking had completely turned around. Friends, to come to Jesus and get right with him for real, you have got to completely and totally turn around. You can't do anything the way you used to anymore. It's got to be done God's way. 
So this is a vast difference in how seriously the, the Israelites here in Nehemiah 10 are taking this versus how they used to take it before the captivity when they didn't care at all. Now, their final statement was, we will not neglect the house of our God. This was an admission from them that they had long neglected the house of God. So the Israelite people here, they had been rebuilding the walls around the city. They had been reorganizing their priorities about how their marriages should be. They're reorganizing their priorities, and they were also reorganizing how to better handle their finances. That's another big one. You got people that believe in God just fine, and they believe in Jesus, but they are in a financial ruined mess. Something people don't understand is that our sin problem was a debt, and it had to be paid for. And then you got people saying they're Christian running headlong into debt. It makes me wonder, do they even get it? I'm not talking you shouldn't go finance a car. Oh, I'm in debt. I'm not a Christian. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, do you live according to debt? Is that your way of going? Okay. They had neglected God's house. They had neglected God. It got them in captivity. It got them in bondage, not just physically, financially. And they're saying, we're going to undo all this now. They're indicating their new commitment is now upon their God. They decided to focus more on spiritual things than on material things. I know a lot of people, their ever-waking moment thought on their mind is, how do I get out of this financial problem I'm in? And I have heard people say, if I could just make more money, I could get out of debt. If I could just make a few more dollars, I can break this debt and then I can be free. But the very problem is they're trying to focus on the debt, trying to pursue more money. They less pursue God and they get deeper and deeper. Friends, Israel right here is saying, you know what? We're going to break the whole cycle. We're done. We're going to draw a line in the sand. We're going to cross it and never come back. We're going to do everything God's way and let him deal with it. This is something we can all learn from. They're going to focus on the spiritual more than material. And what's sad is that it took a big, heavy 70-year captivity to get them to see it. I, when I read this, I, I think of my own life in the past and the big things that God put me through, and I often wonder, why did I have to go through all that before I snapped out of it? <laughs> I work with people to get them to see the gospel and that Jesus stands ready to save them, and they're just, well, you know, whatever. Uh, and they just hanging on to that sin. I'm like, what does it take to get you to see this? How much worse does it have to be? Today, most people have their priority set not on money, but on gaining money. They don't want to give to the church. They don't want to sacrifice to the Lord God. They don't want to give any offering to the Lord their God, not just in finances, but of themselves. They're body. We're supposed to glorify God in our bodies. They won't even do that. They do what they want to do because their lives are bent on debt. They should be investing in the kingdom of God and let the Lord start working these problems out. That's where I finally had to get to. It's like, God, I I can't do this. You're going to have to help me. He's like, well, you need to start investing in the kingdom, not in all these things that you've been wanting to invest in. So I had to turn that around. Now, I know people say God doesn't need my money. No, he does not need your money because it's not yours in the first place. (laughs) When you think of it as your money, that proves, or your money or your produce, your body, 
That proves that you don't understand that you are a mere steward of a temporary blessing that God has given you so that you can use it in service for His kingdom instead of your own. God is giving you a chance to demonstrate, to prove yourself. Here, be a steward of these things. Let's see how you do. And then people go, well, that's mine. I'm keeping it. God goes, well, there you go. You just proved who you are. I don't want to be that guy. Israel said, we don't want to be those guys anymore. We're going to get back to our first fruits. We're going to dedicate our firstborn sons. We're going to do our offerings. We're, going to, we're not going to neglect the house of God. So the people here in Nehemiah 10, they had long lived under great distress, and they're done. They're tired of it. And if you want out of distress, we got to start living God's way. This is exactly what prompted Nehemiah to want to come and build the wall. Remember, he heard about the distress that his people were under. He wanted to do something about it. He came and built the wall. we got to get back to serving God. And now they are. So now the people were thankful for the relief, the relief that God had brought them. So much relief that it caused them to become cheerful givers. Oftentimes, people give because they feel like they have to, and they don't want to. My firstborn son, okay, God said you have to go, so go. That's not cheerful. Hey, we got to give a lot of our our, our, uh, crops this year. Well, I guess God said we have to, so I guess we have to. That's not cheerful, guys. Cheerful is thank you, God, for getting me out of the mess I was in. I'm so thankful. Lord, I want to sow into your kingdom. Here it is. Oh, yes. I feel good. That's cheerful giving. Okay? If you don't have that, don't give. <laughs> so they once lived in rubble. Nehemiah didn't like that. So they came to build the wall. They lived in rubble. And now they could expect better things. Now they could have blessing. And now they know that more Israelites are going to come and live along with them in the protected city of Jerusalem. None of this that we read in here today came about by money. None of this happened with money. You don't just throw money and walls pop up. What happened was that God restored them because they responded in obedience. Money didn't do this. Repentance back to God and obedience to him, that made all of this where the Lord restored them back, back to getting back to God's way. I want to show you Second Chronicles 7.14. says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and pay a lot of money from their bank accounts, then I will hear from heaven. No, it does not say that. Money is nowhere in this. If they will turn from their wicked ways, pray, seek my face, then I will hear from heaven. And I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Money ain't got a cotton-picking thing to do with it. Thank you, God, for getting us out of that trouble we were in. Here is of myself. I invest in your kingdom work. And it really has not much, nothing to do with money. It's all about turning back to God and being giving. You know why giving is important? Because God gives. When you become a giver, you show that you have a shared character trait with the Lord God himself because he himself is a giver too. Now, in context, this verse I just read to you, God wrote this passage, Old Testament, and specifically for the Jews. Okay, I know I see this sign in people's yards, and it's okay. I'm not saying it's wrong. Put it in your yard if you get one, all right? But he wrote this to them. 
He wrote this to the Jewish people. But this does not mean that we can't partake of this same idea. Okay, I just want to make sure you're careful about that. He wrote this to the Jewish people. He said, if y'all do these things, I'll heal your land. Now, I'm, I'm pretty well believing that if America was to do this, God would heal us too, and he'd fix our land. We got a lot of problems here, don't we? And only Trump is going to fix it, or Biden's going to fix it. All hell the Democrat Party. All hell the Republican Party. God judged those liberals. God judged those conservatives. No, no, we just fell back off into our own little mess again, didn't we? How is this land going to be fixed? How is Israel going to be fixed? How should we be doing for the United States of America? We should be praying. We should turn to the Lord our God and stop doing our wickedness. Pray to the Lord God. He has the ability to forgive sin and heal this land. Don't be thinking that politics is going to fix this place. It's not. Politics is messing it up. We got to stop thinking the old ways that we used to do, turning on Fox News or CNN, whatever it is you watch, and getting all bent out of shape because it doesn't seem to be going right. Turn the thing off and pray. That gets things done. But he wrote this for the people of Israel. And a lot of people go, well, that's Old Testament. That doesn't apply to us. Well, let me make it apply. Acts 3.19 it says, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. There you go. There's your New Testament. Who needs refreshing in here? I will put my hand up. I need refreshing. Do you have problems that, oh, Lord God, I wish I had refreshing from this problem? The first thing you got to do is repent. Me repent? Well, they're the one that started it. Do you need refreshing? You know what? If you are refreshed and somebody does you wrong, it shouldn't affect that. You should be just fine. If you need refreshing and you're distressed, something in you needs to repent. Repent and be converted. Your sins may be blotted out. Times of refreshing may come from your pocketbook. No, from the presence of the Lord. Now, Israel had gotten so far off track as a nation And the consequences had gotten so bad that they figured they better get right with God again. No playing around. We're going to do serious this time, right? So this curse and oath that they took, I think the concept of curse and oath has long been forgotten by our culture today. We don't think in these terms anymore. So many people, they swear they're bound for heaven, but they don't live the way God commands them to live. They just don't care. They're actually in opposition to what God commands. They neglect the house of God, and they don't realize that there are bad consequences, the curse, that come from living their own way. They don't understand these things. They don't understand curse and oath. We need to understand both sides. Eternal life has curse and oath to it. The oath is that God promises to save those who call upon the name of the Lord. But the flip side of that coin is that those who will not believe and will not obey the Lord, they will be condemned to a curse. It is a place of outer darkness called the lake of fire. Let's just go ahead and say it, hell. Curse and oath. Now, hell, that is a state of complete separation from God. Not even unbelievers have a complete separation from God. They still have an opportunity. They still have a tug going on, that they have some hope yet that they can still grab onto. There's still always the opportunity to call out for Jesus, even for unbelievers right now alive on this earth. But if they get into hell, the hope of Jesus is gone. It's gone. 
Can you imagine existing without the hope of Jesus Christ at all, knowing that it has now been cut off? This is a never-ending separation from God. It is inescapable, and it is reserved for those who always insisted on living their lives their way, separated from God. So I want us to think about the Israelites. They really wanted to walk closely with their God again, and it drove them to author this covenant. They were thankful that there is curse and oath. There, there is oath we can take that, yes, I will follow God. I will do what he says, and I know he's going to bless me because he promised he would. But you don't want to go to this place called hell. You do not want to go there. Curse and oath. So I want us to really think about the Israelites here. They really, I mean, they really wanted to walk close with their God again, and it drove them to author this covenant. Friends of the Lord God, he wants to walk closely. He wants us to walk closely with him, and so he himself authored a new covenant for us. In Hebrews 5 and 9, it says, He, Jesus, became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So now let's think about when the Israelites authored this new covenant here in Nehemiah 10. It says they placed their seal on the document. Typically, maybe it was a, like a royal seal. You had a ring that had a, 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 an image in it, and you would push it into wax or something. Then that bared your seal. When somebody placed their seal on a document, it was for the purpose of binding it so that nobody could alter it or undo it. If, you, if they were to send a letter back in the old days, they would seal the letter. The, they would put a royal seal. That meant you cannot break the seal except for the one that it is addressed to. So they put the letter in the mail, and they see the seal. Nobody can break it. Not until it gets to who it's addressed to. Then only that person could break the seal. You know, we are being given and offered a seal. Jesus authored salvation, and for those who believe in him, the Holy Spirit puts his seal on them. Ephesians 1.13 says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So it's kind of like when you get saved, you get put in the mail. They seal the envelope. Holy Spirit puts a seal on you and says, nobody can break this until you get to the one that it's addressed to. Not until you get to heaven can the Lord God break that seal and say, hey, you're addressed to me, come on in. So once the Holy Spirit seals you, that is a binding agreement. We just read, it says, the guarantee of our inheritance. You believe in Jesus, you got marked with a seal of the Holy Spirit, you will be saved. That's something comforting. This doesn't condone a sin license, as a lot of people make it into. But make no mistake, once you believe in the gospel of Jesus, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit guarantee for eternal life. I wouldn't be able to believe that if I hadn't seen it re written in the book. When you look through Israel's history after the events of Nehemiah 10, we're going to see later in history, they're just going to fall into sin again. So eventually, this covenant that they drafted here was not going to be upheld. Because why? Man, mankind has just fallen in sin. That's just the problem we have. But friends, God Almighty is not sinful like we are. God Almighty is not fallen like we are, and that's why his bindings are certain, and that's why his seals can withstand eternity when ours don't. Doesn't this make you thankful, knowing that God is able to bind things that we can't bind? 
He says, friends, my salvation to you is bound by me. It's not bound by you at all. He had to bind the whole thing. (laughs) Shouldn't this make us want to obey his word? But just like how Israel had forsaken the house of God, people today, they have forsaken the house of God. They have forsaken God himself. They don't bother with obeying God's commands because they don't even know what they are. They don't spend time in God's word or in the house of God. They're just too busy doing their own thing. God has no priority in their life. Now consider that before the Israelites were taken into captivity, they just weren't obeying God's word, not like these Israelites want to do here in Nehemiah 10. It took a 70-year captivity before they really wanted to obey. It took a 70-year captivity to get them like this. Why should that have to be like that? So this makes me wonder about people today. They're neglecting the house of God and the Word of God. I've even had people directly tell me, just because I don't read the Bible, that doesn't mean I'm not a Christian. I'm like, what? How could you know what to do in obeying God if you don't know what He says? The problem is, when you don't know what God instructs, you can't be in obedience to what He commands. Luke 6, 46, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord and you don't do the things I say? That really puts us to a test. If you're going to call Jesus Lord, you have to do what he tells you. And how do you know what to do what he says if you don't know what he commands? For this nation today, ignorant of God's word, they have forsaken God's house. It makes me wonder what new form of captivity is out there on the horizon for us. We see a lot of problems coming. We see it getting bad. And I'm just wondering what new kind of captivity is it going to take for this nation to finally get back to taking the Lord God seriously again. While people are wrapped up in worshiping their money and their politics and doing their own things, what big of a trial is it going to take to get people to come back to living the Lord's way? It took 70-year captivity to wake Israel up. We had 9-11, September 11. That didn't do much. It made people run back to churches for about a month. covid it didn't scare people into the church, into the house of God. It actually scared a lot of people out of it. So what's it going to take? That's what I wonder when I read this. Do you realize that we can choose to commit to the Lord God without there having to be this big of a huge trial to snap us out of it? Do you realize we can just decide with, without a big problem, we can just decide, Lord, I'm going to just follow you. Why can't we just do that? We can. James 1.22 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Do you look intently? We should. How can you not want to obey God, the one true God who sent his son? We're all weirded out by, oh, you got to give your firstborn son. God sent his son to serve the kingdom, to save a bunch of sinners from the mess they got themselves into by authoring us a new covenant of salvation that he himself signed and sealed. God's signed and sealed documents, they stay. They're binding. Thank God. God for that. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time 
unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.